Hello, I'm Philip Stoughton, and this is the Supply Chain Intelligence Podcast, a Scoop Studio production for Nexar, an LTL company. Each month, with the help of Dan Schoenfelder and a special guest, we'll be digging into the Nexar Spectra Electronic Design to Delivery Index Report to see what the latest trends are and comparing those with other data and anecdotes from the companies in the supply chain. Today's special guest is IPC Chief Economist Sean Debrabak, someone who I have huge respect for and the guy I would always get my first story from as a journalist at CES when he would present the consumer tech trends for the coming year. So Dan, before we bring Sean on, let's talk a little bit about the key highlights we've seen in the Eddy report this month. More balance returning, supply seems to be trending up a little and demand seems to be very slightly down. What are your, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you, uh, you hit the nail on the head. Phil, we've uh, we've seen certainly uh, kind of a flattening of both uh, both the demand and uh, and supply indices, um, and uh, and as a result of that, it doesn't mean we're not seeing some some shifts, but when mm. they've become smaller than what we've seen uh, the last several months. Uh, so October, well, uh, well, well, unremarkable as far as the number of changes we've seen is still, I think, telling us a lot about what we can expect in the coming months as well, too. Yeah. And Dan, last time we spoke, I I, I talked about um, one of the indexes settling down around about that 140, 150 mark and almost feeling like that is that is the new norm. You know, we're, we're, we're 40% above where we were when the index started at the beginning of 2000. Yeah, Phil, you're exactly right. The demand index... Uh, for October is around 142, um, mm. meaning it's again it's it's 42 points above uh, pre-pandemic of January 2020 baseline, um, and so we're seeing that demand remains elevated. However, what we also saw is of the nine high-level categories that we do track, six of them remained exactly flat from the month prior from a demand perspective. So we're really seeing in the market. Um, what we believe is that new normal, um, yeah. whether that will last, uh, remains to be seen, but, uh, but, but, but certainly demand remains elevated. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, Dan, isn't it? We've got to figure out how many months of, um, stability we, we get in a row for us to say that's, that's kind of the new normal and that's where we belong. Let's bring Sean in at this point. Sean, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolute pleasure to see you. Um, Big fan of all your work, so uh, appreciate that. Um, not so much a big fan of some of the quotes I've seen from you recently. One that particularly stood out f- um, for me was the recent uh, your recent economic report that said twenty five percent of electronic manufacturers believe we're currently in a recession. Is that based on what they're hearing from their customers, what they're seeing in trends? Give I me a little we're... bit of an overview there. So I think we're in a really interesting situation where uh, electronics manufacturing has been very healthy. To Dan's point, demand has been very strong. I think we also, in, in the metrics that we track, see a uh, slowdown. But I like to say that that slowdown is, at least for now, happening very slowly. And uh, and you are seeing a bit more of a balance come in as some of the supply constraints lift. At the same time, despite what looks like a very good environment and what historically would have been considered a very good environment, you have executives, I think, doing a very good job of talking themselves into a recession. 
Mm. There's been so much discussion about recessions that it has for many become an inevitability that if we aren't already in recession, certainly we will move into recession. If you look at that research that we published, only 12% of respondents say that we won't go into recession at all. So mm. uh, most think that we we are either in recession, 40% say we'll be in recession by the end of the year, and the remainder uh, that get us up to 88% think that recession takes place next year. I think it's based upon just their own uh, sentiment, based mm. upon um, their own worries and concerns that the growth is slowing and they see the growth slowing and, they, and they're worried that that growth slowing may accelerate and uh, and even drop um, in, in some uh, effect. So uh, I, I'm not yet in the camp that a recession is inevitability. Mm. It's hard to imagine that we see a, a, a stiff and hard recession when you still have in North America, you still have good job growth. You still have strong demand. Yes, we we have seen services start to come back. Consumers are spending on services, and and so that's taken some of the wind out of the sail for for goods. But to Dan's point, demand for goods is is still strong. Now you look outside the U.S. and there are other dynamics at play. Yeah. Uh, the war in Russia, uh, the you know the the war in Ukraine, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, is. Uh, significant headwind, high energy prices in Europe are driving up inflation rates significantly in certain countries. So there are some some real headwinds that we're mm. facing in Europe. Parts of Asia have have slowed. So there are you know dynamics at play yeah. uh, that that do seem to want to usher in a recessionary environment. Dan, when you when you look at the the trends in in terms of impacting consumer spending, does that trickle through to different groups of components? When I talk to EMS companies, they're they're saying there are very strong sector by sector differences. Are there components that indicate to us that particular industries are suffering more? Um, <laughs> I, I I think so. Uh, um, certainly, we we track things at a commodity level more mm. so than an industry level. Uh, but I think the trends can be seen in those commodities and where those products are utilized yeah. most. And and one of the one of the categories we track very closely um, is microcontrollers. Uh, they show a huge indication of of where a variety of vertical markets are headed because their adoption across several. Um, but but what we're seeing specifically in the demand side of things is that demand is dropping for microcontrollers, yeah. and I think that that is a a counteract to uh, what we're seeing in supply, where supply is increasing for microcontrollers at the same time. Lead times are coming down and availability is becoming something that is, uh, that is, more, um, th that is more reasonable. That said, within the same category, we're seeing several companies that have lead times that are still a year out in the future um, and very unpredictable supply chains at this point in time. And some yeah. of the macro conditions that Sean mentions, are without question contributing factors that make planning um, extremely challenging at this point. Yeah, I spoke to an EMS yesterday that told me one of his components that he's waiting for is coming from eighty-four weeks to fifty-two weeks. He said it doesn't matter to me. I still, I still, I still don't got it. So I still can't, I still can't build those products. Sean, 
Do you see any anything in in this week's news package with the midterms, with the reduction slightly in uh, the rate of inflation and with stock prices, particularly in the tech sector, taking a bit of a jump this week? I think Amazon were up like 12% on the day. Do you see that improving sentiment or is that just, a, you know, a, a day to smile amongst the, amongst the gloomy climate? Well, definitely a uh, rise in equity prices, especially significant rises like we saw this week, are a, a day that, uh, you know, bring people back to optimism. It definitely helps the sentiment. Now, it has to stay that way. We need multiple days like that to really bring back the sentiment. Um, you know, I think to, to some of the points that Dan was making, I think what we do see in electronics manufacturing is uh, a, a robust and dynamic industry that is able to kind of move into other areas where mm. where demand remains strong. So, well, maybe the consumer segment is slowing. You still have this broad transition to EV infrastructure, not just you know the EV cars, but also all of the infrastructure around that. that there's a lot of tailwinds in that category. So you see growth there. Obviously, there's growth in uh, the defense industry, as the as we look to restock and also mm. to support our our allies, so there's a I think good tailwind in that industry, and then you know to to Dan's point, in some of these areas are still seeing significant lead times, and so while demand has slowed, really what that's allowed companies to do is to start to work on their their backlog of orders, and yeah. to work. To work through some of their backlogs. Yeah, I think the backlog story is really interesting. I interviewed the CEO of a Scandinavian EMS company. Scandinavia as a region just seems to always do a little bit better than the rest of Europe. It seems that they just seem to be good at making profits out of EMS, which is which is not not a simple task. But this guy was actually saying to me, well, we've looked at the the dynamics and we're expecting a softening next year. But what we're expecting that softening will mean for us is that we can bring in the components that we're short of because they'll become available and we can finish and catch up with our backlog, which will be better for our relationship with our customers. And then if, you know, if we do have a softening that lasts 12 months and it picks up next year, we're in great shape and we really like that dynamic. So that's, you know, that's kind of an interesting story, Dan, that that kind of balances us against against what what's going on do you think that do you think that's typical or do you think that's maybe the an exception well i i think there's going to be a limited capacity to respond to current mm. demand um and uh there aren't um a, a material number of capacity enhancements that are happening at the component manufacturer level that are impactful in the short term yeah we hear about investments in fabs we hear about investments in high-end semiconductors, but those, those, those investments probably will not impact uh, our supply chains for two to five to maybe even 10 years in some cases. So what you're seeing is while demand is softening some, the supply is not catching up at the same rate. So you have uh, within our indices, you have categories like microcontrollers that we mentioned before, like sensors, like discrete semiconductor products 
that still are far below the the, the baseline for the index of January 2020. So, yeah. so we're seeing a softening of demand some, but the supply side is not responding court as fast or will not be able to because of the capacity constraints and component manufacturing. Yeah. And capacity takes a long time to bring on in these particular sectors. And much as there's investment from from both the companies and government incentives, that just that just takes time to filter through. And that's, um, you know, that's slowing the process. When I look at the dynamics in different regions, um, it's very difficult to predict. You know, I'm I'm living in Australia, but I'm British. So I look to what's going on in the UK with not very, not, not very, um, not very positive vibes. It's a, it's just the strangest economy at the moment. We've just had the prime minister that's uh, had the shortest run in history. Um, so, so it's a little bit, it's a little bit chaotic there, but when I look elsewhere, there's definitely a lot of stuff happening that's changing where things are being manufactured, geopolitics, um, issues with respect to China, the US banning certain devices and chips with respect to AI and things like that. So there's lots of movement there. The countries that I'm told are gaining the most, or the three countries I'm told that are gaining the most out of this are, are Mexico, Vietnam, and India. And India is a really interesting one. We've seen Apple shifting some of their manufacturing there. Sean, do you see those trends as being temporary or do you see these as some some big long-term shifts in terms of the in terms of the geography of our supply chains i think the geography of the supply chain is going through a, a structural change mm -hmm. um, now it's important to recognize that the supply chain is always evolving we're always mm -hmm. making adjustments but what's happened over the last 20 years is that we we made our supply chains long in order to reduce costs. And so we squeezed costs out of the, the model. But as a result of making these long, we also made them brittle. And so we're mm -hmm. rethinking how do we move from a brittle supply chain to a more agile, adaptive supply chain? And might that also mean a shorter supply chain? And so I do think regional hubs certainly could benefit uh, and I think there could be a lot of winners in this. Mm. I think you know North America could could win. Maybe maybe that uh, it shows up in Mexico, but I think some of that could show up in the U.S. and Canada as well. Uh, South America could win. Parts of Europe can can definitely win. You look at you know parts of Eastern Europe, despite their proximity to Ukraine, still have very low unemployment levels. Uh, places like Poland have absorbed a tremendous number of refugees and still have quite low unemployment numbers. And so there, there are parts of Europe that I think are attractive. And I think there's lots of places in, in Asia that could benefit. You mentioned Vietnam, you know, Malaysia, the Philippines, other places like that could, could also uh, benefit. India certainly could, could benefit uh, from this as well. So I think there's lots of places that will benefit to Dan's point, you know, some of these shifts, take place over years and decades. So it isn't uh, enough to say, you know, hey, this will happen tomorrow. We are seeing the shifts already starting to take place, but it takes a uh, significant time for, for the networks to be developed, for the, the nexuses of these, you know, supply chains to be built out. And so I think we're in the process of that. I think the conversation we have in five years will be significantly different looking at how, yeah. 
uh, production has shifted. And at, at, in the midst of all of this, we're ushering in the factory of the future at a time when we're shifting supply chains and, 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 you know, so shifting supply chains really means capital investment. And that's, that's the other thing that makes me generally optimistic, especially over a longer period of time on places like the U S economy, because you've got a lot of investment that's going to have to be deployed in order to build out these, you know, these supply chains and to build out the infrastructure for the, the next iteration of innovation, whether that's, the you know the transition to carbonless energy sources and and renewables and you know EVs and other things like that or whether it's uh, you know being driven by the the next phase of manufacturing and and automation and augmenting humans so I think there's a, a lot of really interesting things and then of course in all of these transformations technology is playing a key and central role and so there there's a chance to benefit there so yeah. You know, to, to Dan's point about demand remaining strong, I think that that definitely could have some really interesting uh, momentum in the years to, to come, even if we do see a, a bit of a blip in terms yeah. of a recession. Yeah, there's a lot of dynamics, a lot to unpack there. I absolutely agree with the short supply chains. One of the things you mentioned is is um, uh, carbon emissions and the environment and the idea of short supply chains is certainly potentially has a, a big big sustainability, positive sustainability impact, which I think is really exciting. But the whole industry 4.0 trend, I think is, is interesting. We, we started talking about that 10 years ago, um, you know, at Hanover Fair or whatever it, wherever it was, and we haven't really seen that much dividend. But I think over the last year or so, a lot of available technology has caught up and we're seeing that and that may flatten the differential with respect to low-cost labor regions and stop us chasing low-cost labor around the world, which perhaps allows us to have a more positive impact in um, in the US, but also in Western Europe. And we're definitely seeing a renaissance there. And somehow that seems to have matched up with a consumer sentiment that they want to see more responsible, shorter supply chains, and they want to see goods perhaps produced more more locally what are you seeing in the international dynamic um dan you've got a you've got a, a kind of a feel for what what's going on there and you can see where the um the supply chains are being uh, are being built up yeah so i mean there, there obviously there are some dominant geographies that uh that are drivers um, mm. um of, of activity drivers of the data that we see represented in our data um, and certainly, I think that the most stable has been has been the U.S. and North America. Um, we've seen much more volatility out of Europe than we saw um, in the years leading up to the pandemic, um, and uh, and and I, I I think that's going to continue, uh, you know, partially because some of the geopolitical considerations that Sean mentioned earlier, um, but also uh, I think that there's. Um, going to be commensurate responses to the investments uh, and the political environment that mm. I think the U.S. is contributing to. Um, I think we're going to see commensurate uh, um, um, legislation take foot in in parts of Europe and uh, in parts of Asia that are that are a response to the actions being taken uh, in the U.S. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see um, how that uh, contributes to a combination of a shift but also into uh, 
what I hope is not isolationist practices amongst different geographies. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting just to just to wrap up when we spoke last week to Akel Altikar, he talked about the current situation being the best example or the most accurate example of the bullwhip effect he's, he'd ever seen. And, and maybe some of the trends that we've seen in the in the data just shows that we are kind of coming towards the the latter part of the ripple of that bullwhip effect that we've seen from um uh, from the pandemic. Uh, last word to you, Sean. What do you see as the as the key trends, and what what should we be looking out for in the next two to three months as we as we get towards twenty twenty three and um, and try and figure out what what we can predict in our supply chain for next year? If you look at the research that we just published, while there is a significant portion of respondents that in in the electronics manufacturing in the electronics manufacturing space that see a recession as inevitable, there's still a lot of uncertainty about how long that recession is going to last. So about a third say, hey, this is going to be under six months. About a third say, we think it's about a year. And then you get about a third that say, no, we think this is going to be a prolonged Mm -hmm. decline and last for over a year. So there's still a lot of uncertainty around how long a a downturn uh, might last. Uh, the things I'm looking for, the things that that worry me is that if we do go into a downturn, do we see a lot of cancellations from orders that had these long lead times? When you have, you know, 60 week lead times, then you go ahead and you place the order if you can cancel it. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and then by the time it gets ready to ship, then do you do you feel a need to cancel it because you no longer have that book of business? Does that cause inventories to build? Does, mm-hmm. does that cause prices to be slashed? You know, do we have things that we'll have to work through? What I'm hearing a lot from the industry is that a lot of these long lead times are tied to specific projects and to and to specific plans. So uh, I'm not too worried about that, but I think that is a risk. And I think we, we need to look for those signs and signals that say, hey, this slowdown is not gradual anymore. It's it's sudden and uh and you know it's ag- aggressive. Um I think we can all manage a slow slowdown, especially mm-hmm. if it's you know not a, a prolonged slowdown. So I think what we need to to guard against is something that happens abruptly and aggressively. Yeah. Yeah. And something that that is kind of self-escalating. And Dan, we we talked in the past about the impact of inventory, about the huge amount of work in progress, about the potential order hang that's out there. And it'll be interesting to keep an eye on the numbers um, and see the impact of those because that has a real effect, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, the, the data we've amassed and are, are, are making public with Yeti, I think are great figures to keep a, a finger on the pulse of of, uh, of a couple of key indicators of where the market is headed. Um, you know, just one last piece of, uh, of insight that we're seeing is that uh, that holidays are becoming a thing again. I think the last couple of years um, between the pandemic and isolation and between just kind of the crazy nature of work due to supply chain issues, we saw that 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 holidays did not have the impact that they'd had in prior years. Yeah. That trend is not continuing in 2022. This, particularly in the second half of the year, uh, 
people are going on vacation, they're taking time with their families or to do the things they enjoy away from work. And, uh, and so I think we're going to see a little bit more uh, of an impact from the holiday season this year to productivity, to demand than we've probably seen in, uh, in years past. And we'll, 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 I'm happy to, to, to share those results uh, yeah. once we hit some, you know, the days after those holidays. Okay, well, guys, thanks so much. What a what a wonderful note to end on. Holidays are back. There you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> guys, thanks for your time. Pleasure to talk to you and uh, look forward to chatting again soon. Thanks a lot. Subscribe now to get these valuable insights delivered to your inbox monthly.